Now, when I told my husband that I was going to be preaching on humility, he looked at me, said, you are joking, aren't you? And then he laughed like a drain for about five minutes. Well, I have to admit, I was very put out. I thought, doesn't he know me at all? And then I realised, actually, he did know me very well, and that was the problem. And then I thought, well, doesn't he know himself at all? Hmm. So I said to him, I said, listen, sunshine, I said, if it comes to a contest, I could out-humble you any day of the week. <laughs> well, you see my problem, don't you? I'm not terribly good at humility. It really doesn't come that well to me. And I'm aware that that makes it quite difficult to preach on. So I thought, I know, let's have a look at the dictionary, see if that helps. So I went and got out my dictionary, and the dictionary definition of humility is the quality or condition of being humble. Well, that didn't help me at all. Interestingly, though, it said that the opposite of humility was pride. Ah, now that's something I can talk about. C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, describes pride as being the essential vice, the utmost evil. Well, I think that's quite a harsh statement for something that most of us would view as being a minor moral failing. Surely a little bit of pride can't be that bad, can it? Well, Jesus obviously thought it was. He thought it was pretty serious. Most of his complaints about the religious leaders of the day boiled down to pride and hypocrisy. So, what is so bad about pride? Again, C.S. Lewis describes pride as being, at its core, essentially competitive. Pride cannot exist in a vacuum. One cannot be proud of one's beauty or one's intelligence or one's wealth if there's nothing to compare it to. Pride exists not in having these things, but in having more of them than someone else. This then leads us to compare ourselves to each other, which, frankly, is never a good thing. There will always be somebody who is prettier, brighter, or richer than we are. And our pride makes us see these people as rivals. Pride can be a very isolating thing. Those who have less than us are not worth our time. And those who have more than us, frankly, need to be taken down a peg or two. But this isn't how Christians are supposed to view other people. The people in our reading today were jockeying for position, for the place of honour at the dinner. The closer to the host that you sat, the more important you were. If you're thinking like that, then what you're doing effectively is looking at all the other guests as being less important than you. What the people in our reading wanted 
was for everyone around them to see how much power and influence they had. And what they really wanted, actually, was to have more power and influence than those around them. Competitive again. I am more important than you. I count more. Of course, this means that you count less. You are just there for me to measure myself against. And of course, to be less than I am. This is one of the problems with pride. It's how it makes us feel about other people. And we can see this not just in our relationships with individuals, but also as countries, with our relationship with other countries. Now, I love my country, and I feel very pleased to be British. However, it's important that that doesn't blind me to my country's faults. It's very easy at the moment to look, for example, at Donald Trump and his idea of building a wall to keep the Mexicans out, and to think of our country as being so much better than that. But are we ensuring that our government keeps its promises to look after refugee children? Are we welcoming the stranger and the alien? Or are we just as bad? Are the White Cliffs of Dover our wall? And what about our churches? Do we ever find ourselves feeling just a little bit better than those who choose to worship in a different way? Obviously, I've been talking about us comparing ourselves with other human beings and with human institutions. As Christians, our focus should be more on God than on each other. And of course, when we start looking at God, our pride runs into all sorts of problems. For in God, we come up against someone who is always going to be so much more than we could ever be, who's always going to make us feel very, very small. So how does our pride, that's always there, always nattering away at the back of our minds, make us cope with that? Well. I can only speak for myself, and I'm sure other people have different experiences, but I find that pride has started to work on me when I start thinking just how pleased God must be with me, just how happy he is with what I'm doing. When I see myself as someone who's following the rules, saying the right things, and somehow earning God's love. I know, foolish, aren't I? But I suspect I'm not the only person who sometimes falls into this trap. The people in our story did exactly that. Working on the Sabbath was strictly forbidden, except for some exemptions, such as saving the life of a child or even an expensive animal. But healing somebody would not have been an exemption when a life was not threatened. The Pharisees would have obeyed all the laws scrupulously because that way they think they would have been earning God's love. 
And it makes me think what picture they must have of God. To think that the God of love would be more pleased that they were keeping the rules than disappointed at their lack of compassion on someone else. We cannot earn God's love by following a set of rules. We cannot let our pride trick ourselves into thinking we can get to God's kingdom by ourselves. We are wholly and entirely reliant on God's grace. And that's a situation that pride has no place in whatsoever. So, if pride is bad, then humility must be good. Yes? Well, it kind of depends on the sort of humility you're talking about. There is a sort of false humility, which is really another sort of pride. It's saying, oh, I'm rubbish at that just in order to hear someone say, oh, no, Tessa, you're really good. I think you're wonderful. There's actually nothing wrong with knowing what you're good at, what your talents are. If you're able to play a musical instrument, or if you're good with people, or you can write lovely prayers, saying you can't do these things is frankly just silly. The problem comes when we think that having talents, which are given to us from God initially, makes us better than other people who don't have those same talents. I work in a playgroup, and I am very good at reading stories to small children. It would be daft of me not to do that. False humility would lead me to not putting myself forward and needing to be cajoled into it. Come on, Tessa, you're the best, you do it. However, I know that there are other people in the playgroup who have much more patience with the children than I have, who are better than thinking up, ga uh, thinking up games for them. Real humility lies in recognising that we all have different gifts. We all have something to contribute, and we're all needed in order to make the group work well together. And when we start thinking like that, our view of other people changes. Rather than being competitive, which is pride, we can work together. Rather than being put out that someone has come in who's better at something than we are, we can think how wonderful it would be if we could pool our talents. Rather than putting somebody else down in order to pull ourselves up, we can stand back and be pleased for another's success. We can see each other as a united community of God, as a people of God who are working together for his kingdom. We can have the joy of encouraging someone to explore their gifts rather than the misery of feeling overtaken by them. We can help out at Messy Church or Toddler's Praise because we want to share the blessings that God gave us. We can come to Connections because we love the people who come there and we want to spend time with them. We can take that lower place at the table 
not in order to show off how humble we are, but because actually we love the people at the lower end of the table and we want to spend time with them. And I wonder if this is partly what Jesus meant when he said those who humble themselves will be exalted. Not that we're going to be patted on the back by God for being a good person, but that actually we will find genuine pleasure in putting aside our pride and just loving each other. But I acknowledge, and from my own experience, that this is really, really hard. It was hard for the Pharisees, it's hard now, and it's been hard throughout the history of the church. And we know this because Paul felt the need in his letter to the Philippians to address pride and to give us Jesus as an example of humility. He says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When this letter was written, and later on when Luke's gospel was written, the Christian church was growing in amazing ways. Not just Jews were starting to believe in Jesus, but Gentiles as well. Paul called himself the apostle to the Gentiles, and more and more of them were joining this young church. And this caused all sorts of problems for the Jewish Christians who are still living according to the law of Moses. They wanted the Gentile converts to follow Jewish law because that was what they did. They were the chosen people. Jesus himself was a Jew. He was the fulfillment of their scripture. And these upstart Gentiles come along and thought they could just be part of it without following any of those laws. Again, we see people jostling for position, wanting to be more important because they followed the law. And Jesus is speaking to these people as well both in the Gospel reading and through Paul in his letters. Speaking to those who insist on doing things a particular way, who feel that their way of being church is the only real way. Speaking to the small-mindedness which pushes ourselves forward and leaves others behind. We're fallible humans and we can't follow the example of Christ if we go around thinking we're better than other fallible humans. After all, the son thought that humanity as a whole was worth humbling himself for. Can we really start saying, well, I'm worth it, but this other person may not be? If Christ was willing to die for every human being who ever lived and who ever will live, who are we to start building a hierarchy of those worthy of that sacrifice? And of course, this view of ourselves changes our view of God as well. Rather 
than seeing God as someone who's pleased with our work, we start to recognize our own unworthiness. And when we start to recognize that, we also start to recognize our need of God's grace. Our pride can never make us worthy of God, no matter how handsome or clever or rich we are. God is always so much more than that. We cannot earn a place with God. It took the death and resurrection of Jesus to do that for us. However good we think we are, we will fail again and again. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need his love. And so does everyone else. Are we, as the Church of God, going to keep this knowledge to ourselves? Or do we love each other enough to share it? Will our pride in who we are become a barrier to others finding God, like the early, early Jewish Christians? Or will we recognize that God loves all people, even these we feel don't deserve that love? Because, you know, None of us really do. We're just blessed by him and loved by him, even me. Amen.